Hey, you got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. I'm sitting down with Brian Whalen of Colorado Precision Rifle. Uh, last week, we went down to Logan, New Mexico and shot the 224 Valkyries. We've done a bunch of videos on them. We're getting a lot of good responses, a lot of questions. And I've spoke to you guys about my um, opinion of the 224 Valkyrie. But now that I'm sitting down and we have time to do the podcast with Brian, I want to let Brian take his takeaways from the, the two days that we spent down there. And what we saw between the AR platforms, the bolt uh, gun platform, and just the 224 cartridge in general. Brian, thanks for stopping in. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. So go ahead and give everybody a wrap up of what we did down in New Mexico at Blue Steel Ranch. So the, the first thing that I want to talk about kind of is that matrix and... Yes, the caliber matrix yeah, we did. And, and sort of the role that I feel like the 224 has. Okay. So you got your top 10 guys in, in PRS or they're shooting or, you know... I shouldn't even say top 10 anymore. You show up to your average match, you know, NRL, PRS, whatever, and you've got 15 guys there that it's the any any given Sunday club. Right, right. right. So those guys aren't really applicable in this category. At that point, you're looking for every edge that you can get because a lot of times one point separates who's in fifth versus third. Right, right. Totally. Now, one of the things that I'm seeing, though, and, you know, same thing with you. I do a lot of instruction. I teach for JP, for Thunder Beast, and for my own company. Um, you obviously teach a lot and the biggest thing that i see with uh the students and i mean we've had guys in our classes that are you know top 50 prs shooters right and you know and when i say top 50 i mean in the finale and one of the things that we see is that the biggest shortcoming that guys have is the time behind the gun and is the valkyrie the best wind doping or wind bucking caliber out there absolutely not but the thing is i can get a barrel spun up I can run factory brass without having to tweak with it. And, you know, I've got kids now. Um, I've got a, the, you know, the, the company. And the amount of time that I have to mess with things, if I have to spend six hours doing load development or tweaking or messing with brass to fire form brass, that time would be much better spent for me. And I do this stuff all the time, shooting versus, you know, versus right right you know, yeah. doing the development exactly. doing the, the admin stuff yeah data Ver confirmation and all that stuff so to me the valkyrie is really great option for the guy that wants low recoil everybody moved to the sixes because of recoil management mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily because it was the best wind bucking because you're still going to get better wind bucking in a out six, of a five. six five right yep i mean my guns i got a seven mag i got a 260 accurately improved I normally run it at 260 velocities, but I can juice it up if I want to. But this Valkyrie for me, I can load, you know, 500 rounds at a time. It's costing me 35 cents a round to reload it. I can shoot the hell out of it, not feel bad, not heat my barrel up. And, you know, you get off a barrier and it's like, oh, man, if I had trained that a little bit more, you know, I'd have had hits. That damn target is a 10-inch plate at four or 500 yards. Right. Right? The points are made by being by being practiced at that particular in, exercise. Six and in is your winning yeah. combination. And really the Valkyrie doesn't, it gives up about 15% mm -hmm. to something like a six, five, right? Right. Which is not huge. It's not, it's definitely there, but it's not huge. So the amount of rounds that guys are able to shoot with that caliber, in my opinion, is the payoff to what you lose for wind bucking. And, and I've said inside 600 yards, it's definitely competitive. Yeah. Oh, and that's it, where you absolutely. make your money. If I was going to match back east where the time standards were a little bit faster, um, you know, where I'm shooting a lot of barricades and stuff less like that. Wind, less wind, closer targets, yep. just more positional. Yeah. And, and if I'm going to a match where I've got a lot of targets over, let's say, 1,200, 
it's not the right caliber. Right. You know, could I take it there and shoot it? Well, we shot it to a mile and it held its own. Mm-hmm. You know, but is it ideal? No. But right. there's not that many targets like that at a, at a match. Very few. Yeah. Very, you know, one or two, and they give you three to five shots, and that's it. Yeah. The money's made up on the positional. The money's made up inside 600. And it's accuracy. a practice. Accuracy and practice, yep. which I think this covers both of those that, uh, you know, we had guys coming on saying we don't see the value, we don't see this. Jim Gilliland came on and says he has 5,000 rounds, and he's still half inch or better with factory ammo. Yeah. Well, you know, and you look at a bench rest rifle. Mm-hmm. The reason what, what makes a bench rest rifle accurate, you know, as far as the cartridge goes, is typically that short fat proportion. It's very efficient. You get a lot of velocity and a lot of energy with very little powder. Yeah. Right? Short fat, you get a good, consistent, even powder burn. The Valkyrie has that same sort of proportion to it. It's easy to get that rifle to shoot accurately. I agree. I agree. Now, let's talk about uh, the the biggest question I saw and, and, and before we get into reloading and some of the stuff you're doing with the 80s and mm-hmm. things is the build itself because it, it's pretty standard. Everybody with the Valkyries going with the gas guns. Uh, we're running JPs. There's mm-hmm. Savages out there. There's the Craddocks that everybody... Uh, Craddock seems to be next to JP, the, the top talk when talk, it comes yeah. to 224 mm-hmm. in a some, in a accurate platform. The Savages have had mixed reviews. Um, it's a Savage. What are you going to do? Uh, but the JPs for us have been fantastic. We've seen really good results. But the bolt gun, the biggest debate has come in where guys are saying, I don't see it in the bolt gun. Now, we're here at Mile High. We just shot a little bit of video with Fritz mm-hmm. to talk about the build. But talk about the build and what you put together and what you're seeing with it. Okay, so let's start with the action. Um, I had spoken with Aaron from uh, from Zermont, which is now... you know Bighorn. Bighorn, yeah. Um, and... I was talking with him about the project background shot show and he's like, well, let's get you in an origin. That's our new action. Um, we'll get some, some FaceTime for that. And, you know, it'll give us an opportunity to sort of, you know, proof the action. Right. Um, and the action to me, it's got all of the upsides of the TL three, but it's coming at a lower price tag and where they're almost $400 cheaper. Yeah. And, and where they're able to, they're not cutting corners. They're just making it differently. They're not machining, a huge piece of metal to get the action out of it. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the integral re- recoil lug. That being said is they've got the recoil lug pinned in a manner where it's auto centering. It's right there. If you're building a rifle where you're doing like the, the savage nut for taking the barrels on and off, yep. you've got no problems there because that recoil lug is going to go back to the same place every time. Right. But you've still got the, you know, the savage style bolt face that you can change out. So I could say, Hey, I want to shoot Valkyrie today, unscrew the barrel and I can shoot, you know, uh, my, uh, you know, six BRX tomorrow. Right, right. Or a six, five Creedmoor. So you could do that training rifle switch barrel if you wanted to run that route. Or you could do a switch lug and and knock it right off. Uh, I know mile high guys have been playing around with the the switch lug stuff Mm -hmm. and putting that in front of the TL three. Well, now you got the, the, the bolt head change, a switch lug on the front. So you can pull the barrel off without a gunsmith and you can change calibers in, in make the TL three, into a switch caliber rifle with a single Allen. Yep. Same thing with the Origin. Yep. And the beauty of the action as well is the most common footprint out there is a Remington 700. It's, you know, as far as the footprint goes, it's identical to that. So you've got your triggers, you've got your chassis, all that stuff is too easy to buy, mm-hmm. whatever you want for it. Um, also, like, you know, hey, I sent this rifle, this barreled action to my uh, my gunsmith or my action they got the the specs off of it. Uh, 
Zermon's making those those actions, it's you know plus or minus like a ten thousandth from the front of the recoil lug to the bolt face. Right. So once my gunsmith has got that, I almost don't even have to. You could just call him up and order a new barrel, and exactly. he already knows. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. It's so, it's matched out. And, 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 you know, that's the beauty of, uh, like I said, I'm a big Bighorn fan from when AJ was right yeah. down the street here. And then, AJ's you, awesome. yeah, AJ is so much uh, fun. And, and then moving over to uh, Zermont, they've done a great job staying on top of it, getting the processes down to lower the cost, mm-hmm. but it still has all that versatility. Um, they did a lot of like, a, a lot of work. A lot of really nice fine tuning on the actions. Yeah, they got the controlled uh, the controlled feed. The cold, controlled and feed ejection. Yeah. Uh, so that was a great platform to start with, and, mm-hmm. and and then going from and Mile High, you know, has those in stock here with mm-hmm. the TL threes. They didn't have any origins. The uh, origins still getting, I think, yeah, kind of coming out on, on production. Yeah. So they've been selling like crazy. I've had a bunch of people call me up. Where do I get an origin action? Got to like, go direct. You know, well, no, it's not even a case of going direct. It's just, you know, you got to find who's got one at the time. At the time, yeah, yeah I hear you. And and then uh, Mile High with their guys, they're they're Bartland Barrel people, so they got tons of Bartland barrels in stock. So mm-hmm. you went with a one and seven twist Bartland barrel. Uh, you're fluctuating between the eighty eights and the eighties. Mm-hmm. So the one and seven's perfect. We've shot the nineties. No drama with the nineties. Now mm-hmm. you're thinking because we're so much higher above sea level. If you were going to go to the 95s, you're, you would consider that 6.5 twist. But right now, 1 in 7 is working for us. Oh, yeah. 1 in 7 it's definitely stable. I mean, we're going into transonic and maintaining stability. Yes. Good um, accuracy in transonic. It, it was, I was actually really impressed with how well those bullets were maintaining, you know, that good horizontal waterline, mm-hmm. the consistency. The biggest thing that was messing with us there was the... Uh, the lighting condition with the mirage and the boil. Yeah, and the, the in the switching. middle of the day. Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter what you're shooting at 1,780 yards. But that little bit of headwind versus tailwind switch is going to push you up and down. So, um, totally. yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely staying stable. I, yeah, I would go with a one and eight, uh, six and a half for a heavier with a 95 for, for the 95s. But honestly, I don't see a reason to go with the 95s. No, the mm-hmm. horn hornity I think has got the. Uh, the bullet's locked down for the for BC versus weight, how fast you can get them going. For how much velocity you can pick up with the 95s, I don't, or how much BC you're going to pick up, I don't think the velocity is going to match it. You're not going to yeah. level the two out. And the same thing's with, true with the 80s versus the 88s. Yeah. Um, when you compare the numbers, so realistic velocities that I was getting for the 88s was about with a 26-inch barrel without beating up the brass hard was about 2860 to 80 Somewhere in that range with the 88s. Yep. And then around 3120 with the 80s. See, 3120. So this was the this was the argument of the I don't get it, the Valkyries gay yeah. crowd saying, well, unless you can go 3,100 feet per second, what's the point? Well, guess what? He's getting 3,100 feet per second out of the 80 grain bullets with the 26-inch barrel on the Valkyrie. He just met the requirement. Yeah. And honestly, if you compare, like I sat down the other night and I compare the numbers for 2880 versus 3120 with the different bullets, mm-hmm. comparing those two bullets, the wind on both of those was actually within a tenth of a mil, even out to 1500 yards. Okay. So yeah. y- you can go either way. And this goes mm-hmm. back to our training argument. Mm-hmm. You can get factory 88s with the brass, with the whole thing. You can run them, practice with them, push them. And then go to an 80 grain hand load at 3,100 feet per second. You have a good node in there for accuracy, like you were yep. saying. Your SDs are low. And and so now you can use and push those hard 
in competition, yep. back off in practice with the 88s, mm-hmm. and you can play that. And now you still got your brass. You still got all that stuff. I looked out, actually. My, my zero actually maintains. Does same. it stay? Yeah. Yep. And that being said, the federal load, um, you know, every gun is different. You'll get 10 barrels in a row off off of the, the production line from Bartline or from Krieger, and every one of them is going to shoot a little differently. Right. Um, I've had amazing success with the federal ammo. I've had amazing, amazing success with the Hornady ammo. Um, and ballistically, you know, the bullets and the, the accuracy and the extreme spreads... Um, they're, you know, hand loads or factory, you've got really good ammo options out there. Definitely. Um, you know, and one of the things I think people fight with is that, uh, well, Hey, my gas gun's not shooting well. Well, <laughs> I hate to say it, <laughs> yeah. but gas, I know where guns, you're going. <laughs> gas guns are harder to shoot. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've had multiple students where, Hey, my gas gun's not shooting right. All right, let's work on your gas gun technique. And guess what? When you get good at shooting a gas gun, guess where that translates to? Yeah, accuracy. And your bolt gun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you can learn to shoot a gas gun well, and that, that being said, I mean, the JPs shoot more like a bolt gun than they do like a gas gun. But that being said, I mean, there's still a little bit of stuff that you have to take into you, consideration. The technique is everything but a gas gun yeah. because it's going to exploit your fundamentals. It's going to, you've got to follow through, which a lot of people don't follow through on their bolt gun to begin with. So then when they transition over to a gas yep. gun, they're not following through on that. And and then they're, and they're putting the too hand, much. Yeah. Their, their hand inter- or, uh, interfacing with that rifle because the that pistol grip gives you so much more. Leverage. Right, they're steering and they're yeah, trying to drive it. That's exactly what people are doing. They're steering. Yeah. Once you stop steering the gas gun with the pistol grip, mm-hmm. pistol grip is only to make the gun go bang. Right. It's not a grip. It's not like people want to gorilla grip it. They want to come in and dig yeah. it, and then they start steering and that's it. A change. Yeah. You know, it used to be that everyone was teaching you know a firm handshake back into your shoulder. It's not that way anymore. We're realizing now that if you balance the rifle, you know, the buttstock, you steer the rifle with your sand sock, your cheek, and mm-hmm. your shoulder. And then you introduce your hand with light pressure. The guns shoot better. Not only that, but when you go from shooting prone, you get your baseline information, your zero and your data. Because you've shot that rifle in a balanced position, you know, balanced load on the rifle. When you go to a barrier and you're shooting free recoil, guess what you're maintaining? You're, you're keeping it all the same. Your zero. Right. Exactly. Right. You're not messing so. with your zero. You're not putting two different influences into the system. Yep. So it, it, it definitely shows. Now, the other element within this, and, we're, and I'm touching on the negatives that people are coming mm-hmm. at us with. It's everybody that hasn't shot it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I read on the internet. I heard on this. People are talking about that brass. They're saying that the brass isn't working, that the primer pockets are falling out. <laughs> uh, well, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I haven't blown a single primer in my rifle. Well, I've pushed mine. You, you're pushing hard. Yeah. But so, um, okay, uh, pressure. So first off, I was uh, when I was working on some of my initial loads and some different powders. I call up uh, Zach Smith. I work for for Zach and the guys over at Thunder Beast. Um, he's a, one of the big brains in shooting, in my opinion. Yeah, he's a PhD. That, I don't even think people realize that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have multiple. I'm yeah, I sure. think he does too. But I think it's more than one. You know what's amazing about him? He, he's one of, for people that are that well educated, typically they completely lack common sense. <laughs> Zach's common sense is like extremely short, accurate, and right on. Right, like, right. Like, dude's got a lot of common sense. But he's he's short, so people take it <laughs> because he gives you, he's not. He's not going to like, you know, hold you by the hand and flourish. It's like, here's the answer. Here it is. That's Go. it. Yeah. And, you exactly. Know? And people yeah. are like, want to be led by the nose. And he's like, no. No. <laughs> no. He, he's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. But so I call up Zach. And I'm like, hey, uh, 
what I can't find load data for the for the caliber and the bullet. Um, can you hop on load base and check this for me? He's like, yeah. And for the velocities that we were getting, they put us at like semi spec kind of pressures, and I don't remember what the numbers were off the top of my head. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when we're hand loading for these calibers, we're running the chamber pressure extremely high and not even right on the edge. It. Right. Yeah. Uh, I had loads that were probably, I dare to speculate, 75,000 PSI, way over. And that was testing. Mm-hmm. That wasn't like I'm running it. And I don't advocate doing that, especially. Right. Like, caveats. Caveats. Yes. Yeah, From yeah. a legal perspective, do not do that. Okay. Don't go over anything that the Hornady manual doesn't allow you to, or the Hodgie any manual. manual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't exceed any manual. Yes, exactly. But, um, no, I've actually, I think that the federal brass, um, which I haven't had a chance to do much reloading with the Hornady brass yet, but the federal brass is actually, that stuff's harder than woodpecker lips. It's mm-hmm. taking the pressure really well. Um, and the number of reloads that I'm getting out of stuff so far is, is really high. The amazing thing is I'm not spending Lapua prices. Right. Lapua is great brass. If you lose one, do you really care when no. you can get a box for 10 bucks? Yeah. I mean, there, there's there's a 224 ammo out there. It's 775 a box. Yes. If you lose your brass, go buy a $7 box of ammo and replace it. That being said, I'm kind of stingy like that. I try not to lose my brass, but yeah. when I do, with the Valkyrie, it hurts a lot less. But so... Here's the thing. My extreme spread for my Valkyrie ammo in my bolt gun was eight feet per second. ES, not SD, ES. SD, like, forget about that, that sugarcoating stuff, Mm -hmm. right? ES is of eight feet per second. And I've checked it multiple times. The most it's ever been is 10. So we're talking like basically single digits. And the only thing that I'm doing to that brass is that I'm chamfering the case mouth. Make sure that the case mouth is round. You know, because it always comes a little dented out of the the back. I was going to say, because yeah. mainly gas gun stuff. But yeah. yeah. Yep. But uh, chamfer it and load it. I'm not weight separating. I'm not doing anything fancy. I'm not getting hand, uh, you know, selected brass from fact- from the factory. Right. You, know? you don't have to hydroform. You don't have to chase it. You're not having yep. to play with it. Even like we just did an episode we put up the other day with Adam mm-hmm. talking Ackley. Because you're an Ackley fan. You'd like to do because you're reloading. I like reloaded. the Ackley for a couple of reasons. First of all, fire forming is easy. Like I have a 223 AI. Mm-hmm. If I don't have Ackley ammo on hand, guess what? You just shoot your regular. I shoot 223 and it comes out Ackley brass that I can reload for the Ackley later. Right. I can download it to regular velocities. I like that with my 260 AI. So I can run a 140 at 2820 all day long, very little wear on the barrel, but then I'm going to a big match and I can juice it up to 2930. Right. You know, and, and it just works. My brass isn't moving. It's not growing. But you don't have to do this extra work with the Valkyrie right now to no. get this performance out of it. Yeah, So exactly. it's it's less work. Yeah, it's less work and yeah. So it, it's the factory brass is there. I, uh, we shot, we, we, we went up and shot all, all the way through. We did the 12, the 15, then we went to the 1780 to 2000. Now we're going to recreate this and go out to our range. We're just waiting for the weather to kind of work in our favor mm-hmm. and the wind mainly um, out here. We've just had nasty wind again, but we're going to do accuracy inside a thousand yards. We want to look That's at that. That's where the that. money is made. Right. Yeah. We're going to look at that with both the bolt guns and the, uh, AR platforms that we're using with the factory ammo, with the hand loads. And, and the goal is to give it a 
a better representation of what it can do. Now, everybody was arguing, oh, biased. You're, the caliber matrix was biased. Yeah. And it was like, well, of what's not? Of course it's biased. Right. It's We're looking at, a, at this for a particular demographic. Yes. Yeah. And to, to expand on the demographic, actually, like, okay, you know, I, we've got three little kids at home that are, you know, growing up, they love shooting. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, when they get to the age where I can, you know, start getting them out to matches and stuff and start getting them training... Um, I mean, they're six, seven, and eight right now. Right, right. But I mean, honestly, I've had those kids behind the Valkyrie off a tripod, and they've hit stuff, and they were able, like, I wasn't waiting for them to get scoped it. Right, you right. Know? The recoil management on that gun is insane, and not only that, but like, okay, if I'm getting into PRS shooting, and I, well, I've got an AR right now with a PRS uh, buttstock on it, I can stick a a Valkyrie upper on it. Yes, and be competitive. Yes. Yeah. So there's. There's the recoil management, which A, adds to our ability as a shooter to shoot about better in compromised positions, but it also allows for the, you know, 110 pound and under crowd. Yes. And we, while we're biased on that side, what we're doing is trying to eliminate the bias around the cartridge. By, and people have brought up two different things. Number one, they said, well, you and I shoot better than most people. Okay, granted. But if it didn't work and it didn't perform, we would say so. Yeah. If, if it was like totally unpredictable and it was like, well, we just got lucky and hit it, we would tell you, yeah, it's unpredictable and we got lucky and hit it. But that's not the case. We had see it, adjust, correct, hit. Conditions yes. may change mm-hmm. and the conditions may have changed bigger than the swing of the bullet. But once we caught back up to the conditions, we're able to repeat the hits. Yeah. At extended distances. Now we're going to take that back into under inside a thousand yards. Mm-hmm. So whatever the accuracy we squeeze out of these platforms with this caliber, we're going to report in an unbiased way. Yeah. Because the video doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we may be giving it a leg up because we're shooting better than some people, but we're not giving it an artificial leg up. No. And on top of it, like, you know. I'm not a number, you know, I'm not winning top three spots at PRS matches that I'm going to, right? I don't price pretty well, though. I can hold my own in the average crowd. Yeah. But there's guys that shoot better than me. So we're absolutely this is not getting the glass pedestal. Like we're not just we're not screening out. the. We shoot better on one way, but we don't necessarily chase the game aspect of it. So we're not chasing the the minor differences in what they do for a competition versus what we do on our training side. We have good fundamentals. We, 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 we understand the, um, the systems we're using, but yes, there are better shooters competition wise than us. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that was, and that's kind of bringing me back to one of the guys that asked the question, why, why aren't you shooting at a person size target, you know, for the, the 1780? I'm like thinking to myself, honestly, a person-sized target has zero. We're trying to capture rounds. I'm not trying to prove that Frank and I are the best wind dopers out there on the planet. The idea was to capture rounds right. and give, like, if you're looking at waterline, if the gun's holding good waterline, the gun's doing yeah. its part. What's the spread look like? How yeah. vertical is it? And we saw some vertical, mm-hmm. but we, it was condition-based. 1,500 yard, we saw more vertical than we did at the 1780. And here's another thing. Because the condition changed. We're chronographing the ammo as well. The chronograph numbers mm-hmm. are corresponding to how much elevation we are and are not getting. Yep. I mean, I don't. you didn't see it, and I talked about it. But right after we did what we did, somebody went out and shot the Caldwell milk jug. Uh, they, they, uh, Caldwell has like a two-liter 
challenge, mm -hmm. put a two liter bottle out there at whatever distances and shoot them. Mm -hmm. The guy put a two liter bottle at a mile and shot his 308. He needed 29 mils at a mile with his 308. We used 24. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we shot a mile with accuracy with 24 mils where the 308 at a mile needed 29. Mm -hmm. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it wins. Yeah. And, and yeah, another question that, well, if I get, you know, this bullet out of my 308, I can get a higher BC, but okay. There's a bell curve between muzzle velocity and ballistic coefficient. I've seen this so many times. Guys are going out there and they're shooting the heaviest, most, I can shoot a 230 burger, which has got a huge BC out of a 308, but I'm only getting it going like 2,200 feet per second. Yep. I'm getting great wind bucking, but my danger space is, is nil. Right. right. And it's too, it's too slow. Muzzle, BCs and, hello, we've talked about this endlessly on this podcast. And you're not getting the same BC right. out of the bullet. The bullet, velocity. because it's now it's, it's. 800 feet per second below advertised, you know, numbers BCs, yeah. and the BCs are completely wrong now because BCs have a velocity base to them where here we're not putting in extra effort to get the speed that we need to match up the advertised numbers. Yeah, no, exactly. And by the way, uh, the BC that I came up with that is tracking really well with, uh, I use applied ballistics is, uh, 269. G7BC. 269. Yeah. So, again, and there you go. That's Brian is putting his new average BC. We talk about this all the time in this podcast. BC, BC, BC. Mm -hmm. Throw away that muzzle velocity side. Understand your BC numbers. And so you redid your BC, and 269 is a number you can use with the 88s. Yeah, and the Hornady website, I took the three averages, mm -hmm. uh, or the three numbers, averaged them together. And it tracked perfectly. Yeah. For me, the 2.0 mock is what I used in my JP. Mm -hmm. uh, the Hornaday's 2.0 number. That's gave, the middle number. The right? middle yeah. number gave yeah. me the best because it's 2.5, uh, 2 2.0, and 1.5. Mm -hmm. 2.0 matched up with my software, and that's what we were running there was the uh, 2.0 BC or you mock 2.0 mock BC yeah. off the Hornaday website. And I think it's almost exactly 269. Yeah, I'd have to look. Yeah. But um, yeah. it, 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 that we're tweaking RBCs. And that funny, our question just came up today. Uh, I, before I left to come here, I was on Sniper's Hide. A guy asked about Truman software. His range only goes to 800 yards. He's shooting a 300 wind mag, applied ballistics, uh, custom drag curve. And his... Uh, he needs 1,200 in like 2,000 yards to true his software. And he's mm -hmm. like, well, what do I do? I can't true. My range doesn't go far enough. I said true to BC. Mm -hmm. 800 yards, true your BC. And then if you have to tweak in with yeah. the muzzle velocity, now you got it. And this is what yeah. we've talked about. And it's kind of an advanced topic. But what a lot of people don't realize is that BC changes with velocity. Yeah. If I'm truing up my 7mm Magnum, I take my 180 Burger Hybrids, I point them, mm -hmm. gives me an effective G7 of like 750. It's huge. BC can right. change with barrel profile, not the the, uh, the contour, but the internal profile. Sure. BC can change with your muzzle brake, powder. If you look at what Hornaday's done, and I have their PowerPoint, they Dopplered all of these different situations and they found variations in the BC based on powder, muzzle velocity, uh, internal barrel dimension. Uh, all these different factors uh, affect the BC. Well, you think about it. I mean, just from barrel to barrel alone, 
if that bullet comes out of the muzzle and it's just spinning clean, mm-hmm. right? There's, you know, you know, concentricity in the bullet. Yep. Any of these things that, you know, whatever, um, knocks perce- that out, whatever procession you have in that bullet is definitely going to, to change your BC. Yep. yep. And your velocity, unarguably your velocity changes your BC. If I'm only shooting, you know, Hey, my seven magum, push them at 3000. If by the time I get to the target, my bullet is, is still going 2000 feet per second. If that's my effective target range and I want the most accurate BC I can look at the BCs for that actual range. Yeah. 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 And that's where the G7 BC pays out over the, the G1 is that you have the G7 is accounting for the decay in ballistic coefficient much better than the G1 is. In, in applied ballistics. In other software, yeah. it doesn't quite play that game. Sure, but yeah. yeah, but in AB, he's got it tweaked where G7 works better. Yeah. And, and, and so that's, that's, it's a given. Like I do that too. I, every now and then I'll go back to G1. But if I'm using AB, I, I try to get the G7. If I'm not using AB, then I do G1. Oh, yeah, there's definitely some BFM every now and then. Yeah, yeah. I've got to go back to a G1 coefficient to get things to track just right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, there, sure. there, there's a, there, there, there is a flourishes put into all this stuff. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to account for it. There's some gremlins. Yep, yep. But no, that the, it, I I think um, that we really we really showed people where, where the potential is. And going farther allows us to come back closer to really get a better picture of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we're going to do more. And, you know, here's another another argument is, okay, I'm a relatively new or um, I'm not placing as well in the matches as I want. Take a step back, shoot a Valkyrie for a year, get all that training value out of it, then go back to your 6.5 or your 6 Creedmoor. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and that's, you know, the 6.5s are great. They got more recoil. When you're shooting free recoil off mm-hmm. of a barrier, it's harder to see where your hits are. Yeah. Plus... For me, I'm you know when I'm shooting that uh, 260 AI, I'm hitting the target so hard sometimes I can't tell did I hit on the right side or the left right, side. Right, trying to correct your dope to center yeah. yourself up. Yeah, it, it, well, especially in and, well, just to go back really quick, what he means there, we use Austin Angus's targets, double A uh, targets. Mm-hmm. They hang from a strap. They spin and move a lot better than guys who put them on a T post. Where if you're on, a, if you have a target on a T post, doesn't move. The targets we shoot with Austin stuff moves a lot. Yeah. You can't wait for it to stop moving to see what happened because your clock, you're on the clock. Yeah. And, and you can't always see where the splash was on right. the target either. It's beat up, especially yeah. CD stuff. Oh, yeah. CD doesn't paint. No. So <laughs> it's you, back to nature. Right. Yeah. It, it's totally back to nature. So that becomes this element of recoil management and timing for your stages. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what's going on there. Um, no, you know, de- definitely. Let, let's throw this out there. Let's say, hey, with the recoil management or, you know, whatever the case may be. And honestly, um, there are rifles. So there's a lot of rifles out there that are really accurate, but you have to work really hard to shoot them well. Yeah, right? yeah. So, and the more energy that's wrapped up in the cartridge, typically the harder it is to shoot really well, mm-hmm. right? So, A, I can build a gun that's easy. You know, some guns... You know, you get on there or you get a shooter on there and it just the gun makes them look easy because it's so easy to shoot well. If you have good fundamentals, it's not like really messing with the rifle to figure out how the rifle needs to be shot. Right. Right. The Valkyrie allows you to do that to a certain extent. But um, where was I heading with that? The the, the, the weight and the size of oh, the rifle. Yeah. Um, the, the Valkyrie, it, it's 
it's small, it's it, light, and it puts you back into that six millimeter zone, making yes. making you look better because the rifle is right. not steering you. Oh, I remember I was going with that too. So let's say I can, I've got great ballistics, like I've got a great BC. I'm shooting a six five or or something bigger, a seven or a three hundred that I'm just not able to drive well. Right? Mm-hmm. So okay, I'm shooting. And, and people have to be really realistic with themselves, sit down and shoot dot drills, right? What is my actual... Most people are shooting minute of angle. Yeah. Most people don't think that they are, but they are. Right. Minute of angle because maybe they shoot a good group, but it's like, okay, put that group in the same spot that you put it for me last time. Mm-hmm. And the stuff moves. So if I can make you know uh, a gun that's easy to shoot half minute versus a gun that's not so easy to shoot at a minute, I bought myself a, mi- a half a minute of angle of wind doping. Yes. Right? So that's the easiest way to buy yourself wind mm-hmm. is to shoot your gun well. Your 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 sort of bracket of accuracy is increased. Yeah, you know, because yeah, it's minute of angle target. If I'm shooting a half minute gun, right now I've got a quarter minute on either side that I could be right or wrong with the wind, and now that target has become bigger for me. Yeah. Yep. yep. And 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 like I said, I think it comes back to practice. And, and we've preached this. I mean, we're mm-hmm. preaching this all the time. Practice. I mean, that's why we all get together early on in this podcast. You were, you were part of it that we were up at Pawnee. Mm-hmm. We're all going to Pawnee and using that as practice. Mm-hmm. That's helping us stay relevant, but it also helps us experiment. Sure. You know, we get to shoot different stuff. You immediately this year had the, had the Valkyrie running up there in Pawnee. Uh, did you win the match with the Pawnee? Uh, Valkyrie? You did win one, didn't you? Uh, no, actually, where's um, it or a second or third where you were Mike? Top- yeah, I, I was fire forming brass for my seven Mac that day. <laughs> oh, okay. But, yeah. So I, yeah, but, um, Mike was shooting my gun. Oh, he was shooting my Valkyrie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there, 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 but I mean, it's been around, it's been that. And, and, and I mean, you're, you're a staple here in the Colorado, yeah, Colorado area. You come up to Pawnee from down south. You're, you're training. You're part, like you said, part of Thunder Beast, part of JP mm-hmm. and all this and, and, and. It's practice. It's practice, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and here's the, you know, some of the criticisms that you see are coming from guys who, oh, well, you know, you know, you're not shooting this caliber. You haven't, you know, my background, I've shot an epic number of 308 rounds. Mm-hmm. I've got a 7 mag. I've got the 260 accurately improved. I got the 6 BRX, you know, and I've got the Valkyrie and I got the 223 AI. And out of all of those, I'm seeing the most value for me shooting the Valkyrie. Well, there you go. And, and it's not like I'm afraid to shoot a big gun. And God knows <laughs> yeah. my seven mags as tall as I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here come the short jokes. Yep, yep. But <laughs> Brian and I are about the same size. Yeah. Just so you guys know. <laughs> so, yeah, like I'm, I'm not afraid of shooting the big caliber. As a matter of fact, not afraid of shooting without a suppressor or a, a muzzle brake. But I like the Valkyrie. Right. It's fun to shoot. It's easy to shoot well. There you go, guys. Yeah, and it's easy to practice with. And, you know, like Mike said in the in, in the podcast back, be biased. Don't just go and see what the other guy's doing and you know, hey, so-and-so just won a match with a six-dasher. Hey, so-and-so just won a match with a six-XC. Hey, so-and-so just won a match with a six-five Creedmoor. Yeah, that's those guys under those conditions for them. Mm-hmm. Be biased towards what works for you. Your schedule may not be... So open that you can put in five hours of practice a week, you know, or whatever the case may be, or, you know, you're reloading, uh, you know, maybe you can't reload all the time for matches. So you go, sometimes it's factory ammo. Sometimes it's a hand load. This checks all those boxes. Yeah. 
It's not for everybody, but it's a great option for a lot of people. Yep, definitely. So um, as we start going through here, we're getting close to our our kind of point. Um, What do you want to call out? What do you want to talk about that you may have saw in the comment section? Because we did put up two videos that have gotten... Got like six, 7,000 views in the first mm-hmm. couple days. I haven't looked since then, but they were pretty popular, the videos yeah. we did. And so there was a lot of comments and questions that came up both on Facebook, on Sniper's Hide, and in YouTube. So anything you saw that you want to address for those guys? Um, I think a lot of the questions that I saw coming were about load information. Um, and this is, I think, is probably where there's not a lot of information out there. Um, for me, the go-to was... H4895 and Bargit. Okay. Um, I messed around with some H322 and actually um, talk about availability availability of powders. Um, if you're not able to get Bargit, try the 22 or more importantly, probably try the 4895. Um, but I had great luck with Bargit on both of mine. I wanted a temperature insensitive powder to use mm-hmm. in mine. Um, I found that the, the burden rates agreed pretty well with, uh, with the bolt gun. And then honestly, I really mostly messed with... Uh, in the past, I've messed with the Power Pro 2000, okay. which uh, I think is what Federal is using. Um, it's great powder. It was really accurate. You can't get the extreme powders or you can't get them to shoot well for you. Those are options. Um, but the Varget really is my go-to. And like you said, in the 88s, you're looking about that 2850 plus or minus 20 feet per second here or there. On the bolt gun. On yeah. the bolt gun. And that was at the 26-inch barrel. And then on the 80s, you've got them. You found a node at 3100 out of the 26 inch barrel. 3120. 3120. So he crossed that line. He's into 3120 now, um, um, which is exactly what people were asking for. That was for. insanely accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a uh, all rounds touching at 200 yards. So you, so you d- kind of like putting those things together and squaring that. Do you think that the caliber likes speed? Okay. Uh, great question. I think. Uh, arguably, any of the performance type calibers, your extreme spreads drop as you get higher in pressure. Okay. So for me, one of the things that I'm always looking for, I'm always trying to get maximum case density. Once I get just a little bit of crunch in the powder, I find that my extreme spreads go down. And I've actually, with my shortage of time, I've actually kind of uh, changed my load development philosophy. Um, now what I do is that I will shoot a series of rounds, just one round per to look at velocity, to get myself in the velocity range I'm looking for. Yep. And then I'll load up five rounds at a time. And yeah, I'm shooting a paper, but I got the magneto speed on, so it's changing how my groups really are. But I will look at, this is my go-to fast method. Okay. Um, I will chronograph and look at the extreme spreads of those five shot groups at each of the different charge weights that are, so I'll narrow it down to four or five charge weights. Mm-hmm. Um, like, hey, this is my low end. I'd rather not be there. I'd rather be by the high end. But that being said, my gun's going to tell me what it likes. Right. I look for the lowest extreme spread, and then I shoot it for group. And if it shoots well for group, then I run with it. Okay. And honestly, I've gotten multiple groups that are like, you know, you can call flyers. Realistically, sub-half minute, a lot of times quarter minute group. But so, <laughs> kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in a weird place. You're, technically, you're not an anal retentive reloader, but at the same time, you're running a Prometheus. So you could be considered an anal retentive right. reloader. But I'm going to caveat that. <laughs> yes. I bought the Prometheus. I was actually sitting in Africa. Um, It was my last deployment with Special Forces. I said, okay, I'm a high-volume reloader. um, And I understand that uh, a lot of the good electronic setups weren't available at the time. It was 2014. And I'm like, okay, I reload 20,000 rounds a year. Uh, Between what I shoot and between, you know, ammo that I put, you know, 
in people's hands, people's sure. hands, for, you know, students for classes. Cause I like to, you know, Hey, if you don't have a gun, show up, give me 50 cents around 75 cents around, whatever it is. I forget. Um, but you'll have something there for you and it's going to be accurate. Right. So I load 20,000 rounds a year. When I did the math for how many hours that is, I'm like, okay, the Prometheus is worth it because it paid for itself in the first six months. Okay. You know? So yes, I own a Prometheus, but not only is it accurate, but I can also load, um, you know, three times what I could for any other method available at the time. You're, you're, you're an efficient reloader. You're not attentive. I don't have time to waste. Yeah, exactly. You're like me. You're running all over the place. Oh yeah. You're up here. You're down there. You're, I mean, we were getting together for this and it was like, Hey, let's go do this as the best day. And you're like, no, I got to go to Logan and teach a class. And it's like, Oh shoot. Okay. Let's how about this? I haven't seen my sailboat in two months. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to change next year. Well, you're landlocked. Where's your, no, I'm only kidding. (laughs) Pueblo and Michigan. Yeah. I'm only kidding. I know the lakes here. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely something that people can look at is, you know, the, the, I do the same thing. I reload for speed. Mm-hmm. I don't waste a lot of time. I try to get into the place I want to be where I say to my head, I think I should be this fast. I, I load up there. I see where I fall. And then I pick the yeah. best of that and fine tune it from there. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll find lower nodes for guns. Like my 223. A lot of lower from, nodes will yeah. work. Um, 24 grains of Vargit, for example. And I'll throw that one out there because that's in every loading manual. 24 grains of argot behind an 80 grainer and a 223 or 223 accurately improved shoots exactly the same ballistic performance. Right. Right. So I've got my upper node load, which is about, you know, 3,000 feet a second with an 80 out of my 223 accurately improved, but I download it all the time. Why? Because you get more barrel life. Right. Right. I'm using less components. Right. Um, I'm not, you know, worrying about things. I'm not worried about carbon rings or any of that stuff. Uh, so I upload, download all the time, but yes, I'm looking for. Um, in those higher nodes, I'm looking for low extreme spreads and I'm looking for accuracy. There you go. And I'm going to throw another thing out there. Um, I get all these questions and there's guys, I understand piddling and, and tinkering. I like doing that when I have time too. the problem solving portion of reloading is the most interesting to me. That being said, um, I'm allocating my time now to where the biggest bang for the buck. If I get a load that shoots consistently sub half minute of angle, guess what? I stop looking. Yes, you're done. I'm, I'm, done. T- I'm the same way. Yeah, Because all the time that I spend messing with that load development and pushing things harder and harder and faster, I could be practicing reading the wind. I could be shooting off of a barrier. You know, I could be scratching the kids on the top of the head. Half inch you know? is realistic for me. I generally like my sweet spot where guys chase quarter minute group, quarter minute group. Three eighths is my happy place. Yeah, that's if, I'm, if I'm Absolutely. a If I'm a three eighths of an inch shooter, I am the happiest camper on the planet. Half minute with like for me with factory ammo is golden. I'm I'm super yep. happy to get half minute out of factory. If I get something to three eighths, I'm done. Yep. I don't I'm not chasing yep. it down to that quarter minute. And my biggest tip for getting that three eighths of a minute quickly and easily and inexpensively is the ELDM. Yeah. Yeah. I've been amazed with that bullet, the the ELDM. Hornaday really went to another level with the new stuff. And yeah. the Doppler helped them. I mean, going, seeing what they're able to look at, seeing how they're able to finesse and fine tune, which is why you saw all these changes in, in what they were doing so quickly Yeah. because they started running everything through that Doppler and it just, it's a neon sign for them. Yep. And, and there's a lot of other great bullets out there, don't you? Oh yeah. Me. I mean, but I agree. Bang for the buck, ELDM is like... Yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm a Hornaday fan. I, I You yeah. know, the uh, uh, other than the fact that I shoot a lot of Prime, my other... Go to is Hornaday. When mm-hmm. I show up with you, it's all Hornaday, you know, especially with the Valkyrie. But 
you know, I I will default to Hornaday in a heartbeat. Yep. So, so to kind of go back to your question about the velocity thing, um, one of the things to look at is when I'm shooting those five round groups over the chronograph is that I know typically as I'm approaching low density, as I'm approaching where I get that little bit of crunch in the powder, my number of feet per second change per tenth of a grain drops. Yeah. Yep. Right. And that's where I want that load to be because a, if you know, granted I'm reloading with Prometheus, but when I wasn't reloading, um, I can have a greater error in charge weight and get away with it. Yeah. But the other thing is it's just going to be more consistent. Okay. So that little bit of crunch in the powder and typically, unfortunately, most often I can get really good accuracy at lower velocity nodes, but my extreme spreads aren't there. And as soon as your extreme, extreme spreads start opening up your long range, downrange groups, minute of angle gun, right? Mm -hmm. Just for argument's sake for math, I've got a minute of angle gun with a zero extreme spread, right? Once I take, let's say it's a 308, once I take that and I give it a 25% extreme spread, uh, now my 12-inch group has become an oval that's, call it 20 inches tall. Yeah. Once I go to 50 feet per second, now that that oval is 24 inches tall. Mm -hmm. Might only be, you know, with no zero wind whatsoever, 12 inches wide, but it's 24 inches tall. Tall, exactly. Yeah. And we see that a lot. Yes. That the, the, the vertical spread at distance, mm -hmm. it's what we see, and it's why we're shooting beyond 1,000 yards as often as we are because it really shows up there. Yeah. That tells the tale for us is shooting farther because the vertical spread needs that time to be worked on. You won't see it at 100 as much, but you'll see it at 1,000. Yep. And, and so that's that, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Bench rest guys have zero care whatsoever in their extreme spread. Yeah. Let me, let me caveat that. The guys that are shooting two, one, two, and 300, they don't care. They're dropping powder through a powder drop. They're not weighing charges. If the load's accurate at the shorter ranges, they're happy. They're done. You get the guys, the six BRs and the BRXs and the dashers that are shooting, you know, 600,000 yard bench rest and... Now they start have to work. Now they start looking at it, right? Mm-hmm. No, so. definitely, and 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 that that's a good thing. I had one other thing I was going to touch on, and 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 I lost it myself as well. But um, shoot, where where was I going in in that low? Oh, um, one other thing I know exactly. Seating depth. Are you messing? Because we shoot out of mags. Yes. Mm -hmm. We shoot out of mags a lot. So for me, mag length is important. Yep. So where are you with seating depth? Uh, and you don't have to give exact number, yeah. but uh, how often are you chasing? Where, what's going on with that? I haven't. So I've got almost 2,000 rounds to my Valkyrie bolt gun now. I'm at about probably 1,500 on the gas gun. And I'm pretty fortunate. My seating depth for both both rifles with the 88s and the 80s. Matter of fact, between the 88s and the 80s, I'm not changing my die at all. Okay. Um, but typically I find that the Hornadies shoot best around 30,000s jump. Okay. Um now, that being said, is not every rifle is the same. Okay, let's say I'm shooting a rifle where... You, you know, got 30,000s jump, and we know this Reamer's about a 50,000 free bore. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. There are... Everyone says, well, okay, you're, first of all, never shoot just on the lands. Because the run out and your ability to seat those bullets, you're going to have some in, some out, some just touching. Yep. As soon as you fire 10 rounds, your seating depth has really ultimately changed to some extent. Never shoot there, right? Um, but when jumping, you know, go in increments. I had a 6BR one time that would not shoot at all unless I was jumping those bullets 120,000s. There you go. So not only can you find nodes up close, 
but gas gunners, don't be afraid to try nodes going back. You know, it may jump 120 thousandths before, you know, be, you know, A, between the limitations in your magazine, but you'll find just like your powder chargers, you'll find nodes in seating depth. There you go. Awesome. Good, great tip for everybody uh, who, who's who's chasing that stuff. Because, you know, like I said, if you're noodling, you get the guys, I'm load development. Yeah, you're going to come do this? No, I'm, my load's not tweaked. It's like, what? you've been doing that for six months. Yeah. You know, get out and shoot. Yeah. Don't and, chase it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw another, like, quick tip out there. Um, the first question when I show up to a class and a guy's stuff is being a little weird and they're hand loading. Like, okay, did you change lots of bullets, a lot of powder, or a lot of brass? Oh, yeah, well, you know... I just mix them together. Does primers do different brands of primer make? Yes. Yeah. They do. Do yourself a favor. Once you've committed and married up with a caliber, um, and it's expensive. Like, buy a barrel's worth. Buy a barrel's worth. Yeah. Buy a, and I forecast it. I mean, I, I know in January that when I start the next comp season, I'm going to need, you know, a new barrel and, you know, so buy as much powder as you need. Like you can go on Powder Valley or Midway or, you know, a bunch of other places and buy... You know, Bison Tactical, right? Mm -hmm. If you want three eight-pounders of Argot, there's a fair chance you can walk into his shop and he's got it. He's got it, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, buy, you know, search, hunt down the federal match primers. You know, they're out there. It's not like it was a couple of years ago. Buy yourself a barrel's worth of the bullets, powder, and primers. As long as you know they're going to work, you know. Mm -hmm. I changed lots of bullets one time. I had no idea. I lost 40 feet per second because of a diameter difference from lot to lot and bullet. I sat there... Because I had enough ammo left over to test it. Mm -hmm. Side by side, one bullet would go high, shoot from the other lot, bullet would go low, shoot from the other lot, bullet would go high. Another time I switched lots of uh, 4831 shortcut. 120 foot per second velocity change Yep. just in the different lot of powder. Save, save yourself the, the the trouble. The headache, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do low development once and don't mess with it again until something's changed and you need to. And, and that's that load stability you talked about yeah. in the matrix. For me, it would be load availability. Mm -hmm. For Brian, it's load stability. And all it is is tweaking that caliber matrix to you. Be biased. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, if it's not working for you, why use it? Right. Yeah. Right. Who cares what the other guy did? Yeah. It's on you. And, and, and that's all. And it goes with us. Who cares what Brian and I did? Make it work for you. But we're trying to help you weed through the information and find a starting point in how to make a better buying decision. That's all. Yeah. And, and there's, there's definitely guys out there where it'd be like, you know what? The right choice for you is a BRX, mm -hmm. you know, or a BR. You're going to get good velocity, wind, good wind bucking. That's what Adam was talking about. BRA. He's a BRA yep. guy. Yep. But you're going to get 2,500 rounds out of a barrel. Yeah. Which if I'm looking at a BRA versus a six Creedmoor, there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. you know, there's another thousand rounds in there. Right. Um, if I'm, you know, a bigger guy and I can, you know, manage the recoil well, a six five two, you know, two sixty or six five Creedmoor, you're going to get thirty five hundred to four thousand rounds if you're not beating up your barrel. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And 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 this is where we are. So we got, you know, eighteen to two thousand rounds, twenty five hundred rounds, thirty five hundred rounds, and now with the Valkyrie, six thousand rounds. Yeah. You know, so determine what is more important for you in your, uh, you know, situation. Yeah. And, 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 that. and, and for me, the downside for the 6.5, I mean, I've got one and I shoot it and I shoot it matches all the time. The downside to it is that it's more expensive per round and the recoil management is more difficult. Yeah. There know, you for go. Those, for the barriers and stuff. I need a heavier rifle. 
Cool, man. Well, well, let's wrap this up. We're coming on the hour. Uh, don't want to keep you any longer. I really appreciate everything we're doing. We're going to be doing more of it, and we'll talk about it as well. When we get out to our range out here and we shoot uh, the accuracy and the distance, we'll do the podcast then because yeah, we for sure we, we, won't, I, we totally forgot. I, I left something at home. I forgot what that. Oh, my mic. I left the mic when I went uh-huh. down to Logan. That's why we didn't do the podcast down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I forgot the mic in a different bag. But anyway. Oh, if I ever left home without forgetting something, it oh, would be. Oh, like, I left the camera today. Yeah. I, I walked yeah. home and all that stuff. So um, anyway, this was. I think this is a, a ton of knowledge bombs here, a ton of nuggets. I think it's been an awesome sitting down. We got to shoot a little video with Fritz, a little video with you, and then we're going to keep putting this stuff out and just so you can make better decisions. Fritzy's the man. Fritzy's the man. He, he's been spinning barrels for me. My The first rifle that he, let's put it this way, the first rifle he spun up for me was 10 years ago. Well, a bunch of you guys were like, when you heard Fritz was here at Mile High, was like, no, no, I can't get him to do my stuff. <laughs> you know, because you guys had him, he was like a hidden gem. Oh, yeah, yeah. For everybody in Cowlock, like locally, all the local competition guys would like secretly go to Fritz uh-huh. and nobody knew that was where their gun was built. And then once he came into this shop, it was like, no. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's never, I've never seen a, seen a barrel that he spun up that wasn't a shooter. Yeah. Oh yeah. These guys are good, man. And, and, yeah. and you don't hear about it as much because of the AI stuff, but their custom guns here rock. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so I don't, you know, I own Colorado Precision Rifle, but I don't build guns. Right. Right. Um, I send for guys that are looking for bolt guns. You know, obviously I'm a big JP fan. I, I teach for John. I, you know, I can get you a JP gun, but like, I don't build bolt guns. Right. Right. I don't have the, the capability of building, but you know who I send all my, all my customers looking for bolt guns, precision bolt guns are? Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely, and, and I've been, they've been doing my stuff for ages now, yeah. um, just cause it's convenient for me, but the accuracy is there. The, if it, beyond convenience, if they didn't work, I wouldn't keep coming back to them. Yeah. I have too many choices as we both do. Yeah. They work. Yeah, the stuff that I talk about that I like, it's because I use it. Yes. You know, all the products that I sell are because I use them. Yeah. You know. Convenience only gets me so far. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a I'm a professional. You're a professional. Mm-hmm. We use professional tools. Yeah. You know, you look at a good mechanic and they're using Snap-on. Mm-hmm. You know, why? Exactly. Yeah. All righty, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing it. Uh, it's been great. We got a couple more to put out for you guys, but this has been awesome. Brian, thank you again. Colorado Precision Rifle. Thank you. Uh, guys are asking that we'll have to talk about it down the road, but guys want us to, to do a joint class between you and I down in Logan. We'll have to talk about that for next year. That'd be cool. I'm getting a bunch of like pings on the backside. Yeah. Hey, it'd be really cool if you and Brian taught a class. Hey, it'd be really cool. Yeah, we could do that. You think students could handle the two of us? Probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they could. Out there they could because it's so unique in the way Logan's set up. We can play two different sides of things, even though we come from a similar background. Sure. We can play and, and rotate I think it'd be fun for a student to be able to go to one side of the rim and go to the other side of the rim and just flap. Yeah. I think it would be fun. Oh, yeah. So. You think they could handle our sarcasm? They'd have to be thick-skinned. Yeah, yeah, they get it. Once they're yeah. in front of us, they get it. <laughs> it's different hearing it. It's another yeah. thing to be in front of us. Yeah. You know, not to say that I haven't hurt feelings on a firing line, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty factual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that being said, I empathize with all the factual because I've been that guy. Yeah. I am that guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like the building code. Everything that I teach is based on a personal failure mm-hmm. or like trying to get a student who couldn't shoot to shoot. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, that's that's our job. They yeah. come to us to show them how to fix this and we have to fix it. 
Yeah, and I'll throw this out to you guys. If you're an older shooter who's having trouble uh, shooting with glasses and stuff like that, um, we are... I have now become part of the crowd <laughs> of glasses shooters. So if you want to come to a class and uh, be able to and figure out how to yeah, fix that, how to yeah. solve those problems, we are we are becoming versed and schooled firsthand on that. Because mm-hmm. so. a lot of the guys in the military coming from your background, you probably heard this as well. No glass behind glass. Yeah, they don't want glasses behind the glass of your scope. Yep. And now we're forced to do that, and there are some things that we have to fix. And... Oh, it's been an education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised because you you shoot pretty small frames. I'm surprised because I have to go big big frames to fix a lot of the di- difficulties. I want as big a frame or as lens as I can get so that when I'm laying down or in different positions, I'm not on the edge. And I see you with your little tiny glasses. Well, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> those, those ones that you saw me with, those were like uh, your my, my second or third tier. Um, my my good shooting glasses are actually they're big. pretty much the same proportions as yours. Oh, okay. But one of the things I learned was get your optometrist yes i did the same to treat you as a shooter Mm -hmm. i actually brought my rifle into my optometrist take a dry erase marker look through your scope and then find the spot find the spot yeah i'm point i'm one centimeter left and 0.6 up on my shooting side there you go yeah so good tip man more nuggets all right brian we're gonna end this now thanks a lot you guys have a good one